0: So open your Bible firstly to Mark chapter 15, verse 33, where Mark, who is an eyewitness, describes the last three hours of Jesus' life. Mark chapter 15, verse 33. Mark 15 has just been talking about Jesus being condemned to death by Pilate and being mocked and beaten and um, scorned by the people around him. And then in verse 33... At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last in just a few sentences, Mark describes those last three hours of Jesus' life. And we're confronted with a staggering truth that not only does God allow suffering in this world in his sovereignty and not only does God use suffering to bring about his purposes, God himself suffered. Somehow in this strange and remarkable plan of God, Jesus God in the flesh chose to suffer. He chose to suffer the judgment of God in our place. That is a staggering thought that God, if anyone didn't have to suffer, God didn't. God chose to suffer. And it didn't just happen to Jesus. Suffering was not forced on Jesus from the outside. It wasn't just a result of King Herod and Pontius Pilate wanting to get rid of someone they deemed to be a troublemaker. Jesus chose to suffer for us. Philippians said he he made himself nothing, he made himself a servant, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. So suffering is not something always to be avoided. Jesus chose to suffer. But it doesn't end there. As that message of the cross, um, that Jesus' death was for us, as that message went out from Jerusalem, the very people who carried it in God's design had to be people who suffered. Now that sounds strange, but turn to me with, to, with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, uh, and he's writing to a new church, the Colossian Church. They're fairly recent Christians. And in verse 24, chapter 1, this is what Paul says. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now... Paul suffered, we know that from the book of Acts, there's all kinds of suffering that the Apostle Paul went through as a result of his decision to preach the gospel. As you read through Acts, he was jailed, he was flogged, he was beaten with rods, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked and here we find out why. Paul says, I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions that somehow the suffering of Jesus still continue after his death. In fact, Paul says he counts it a privilege, a joy. He fills up in his flesh what is lacking with regard to Christ's afflictions. Now, what does that phrase mean? Because that that should strike you as a little bit strange. Because what possibly could be lacking regarding Jesus' afflictions? Because the Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus' death was complete It was perfect. Jesus paid for our sin in full. So what needs still to be done? Well, of course, Jesus' death was the complete payment for sin. And the only thing that is lacking is the delivery of that good news to the people who need to hear it. And that is exactly what Paul is talking about here. In verse 25, the very next verse, he says, I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God, In its fullness. What was lacking was the presentation of the gospel to the church, and the delivery of that message involves suffering. Now, why is that? God could have chosen any way for the gospel to be spread around the world, and He could have chosen a way that did not involve suffering. I would have liked that. Why did God choose for messengers of the gospel to have to suffer? What's the purpose of suffering in the life of a gospel preacher, a missionary? Is it something that just happens to you and then you can honor God by the way that you deal with it and be a good example? Or is there a purposeful design in it? This is not just general suffering. This is suffering for calling on the name of Jesus. Is Christian suffering something that you just put up with or is it a deliberate strategy of God? with that question in our minds let's turn to 2 corinthians chapter 4 verse 7 which answers that very question Uh, 2 corinthians chapter 4 verse 7 because in 2 corinthians 4 or the whole book of 2 corinthians really paul is is answering accusations that he's weak and he suffers and what kind of a gospel does he have And this is his answer in chapter 4, verse 7, as to why he's suffering. But we have this treasure, the gospel treasure, in jars of clay. He's talking about his weak body there, to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. See, for the apostles, suffering is a deliberate strategy of God. God requires the people who will share his gospel to be weak, to be broken, to be powerless. Why? so that there's no doubt about where the power of the message lies. It's not in the messenger, it's in the message itself, so that the power can be seen to be clearly from God. Now, Paul fully understood that. In fact, don't look it up, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it drives Paul to say this, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In order to communicate the gospel well, your life must be broken. And in the book of Acts, we see that that's exactly what happens as the gospel goes forward. For the apostles evangelism and suffering could not be separated right back at Paul's conversion in fact God says about him this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles I will show him how much he must suffer for my name and when Paul talks to his young apprentice Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 he says don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me his prisoner but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And in fact, that's exactly what the apostles did. They suffered for the gospel. So I'll give you an example, Acts 5.40. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. With the apostles, gospel proclamation is accompanied by suffering. God chose it to be that way so that it would be seen that the glory goes to him and not them. The only way for them to to avoid suffering was to stop talking about Jesus. That's Jesus and that's the apostles but as we spread our net a little bit wider to look at more of what the Bible says, we see that we are included in this plan of God to suffer. When we follow Jesus, we choose a life of suffering. Now, turn with me. I'll, it's good to look this one up. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. There's, in fact, some more verses on the outline that I'm not looking at this morning, that if this idea is new or hard to understand, you might want to look them up later. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. You, however... This is Paul speaking, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, my persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me at Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Here's where it widens to include everyone, verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. See, this is not just for some Christians. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, what's going on there? Have we so domesticated the word godly that there's no longer any offense in following Jesus? If we limit godliness to mean going to church on Sundays, of course no one will be offended by that. If we limit godliness to mean be nice to other people, that's not going to offend anyone. If we limit godliness to mean go to a Bible study and pray for other Christians, no one will be offended by that. If we limit godliness to be about our private lives, that won't offend anyone. But what if godliness is actually about being so concerned for God and his glory that we can't help but take every opportunity that arises to explain to people what Jesus has done? What if godliness is being more concerned about what God thinks than what other people think of us? What if godliness means having the same hatred of sin that God has? What if godliness means having the same passion for t- people to be saved that God has? What if godliness means always taking a stand for Jesus whenever we could, and not just that, making opportunities? Now, if that's what godliness was, that would make sense of everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted because some of those things will offend people see suffering for the gospel is not just for weirdos or super christians or missionaries or apostles this is for everyday ordinary followers of jesus who take him seriously suffering is not limited to missionaries in bangladesh or indonesia where there's um, really strong opposition if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, persecution will come, even in Dubbo. In fact, I know some of you who have been alienated and picked on and ridiculed for no reason other than taking a stand for Jesus. Someone was talking to me about this just two weeks ago. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We heard it read e- earlier. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul or what can a man give in exchange for his soul if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. We need to live with an eye on Jesus' return and be living now and making decisions now in the light of the day when he will return in his Father's glory. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, the last passage that I'll get you to look up. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking about that day, when Jesus will return. You might want to read the whole chapter as it describes about the day that Jesus will come back. But this morning, I just want to look at verse 19. 1 Corinthians fifteen, nineteen. Right in the middle of talking about the resurrection and the difference it'll make, Paul says, if only for this life, we are to have hope in christ we are to be pitied more than all men in other words if there's no resurrection if christianity is not true then the choices that you make now as a christian are absolutely crazy now how does that work because sometimes the christian life's pretty good isn't it john piper talks about a cistercian monk who lived a very simple life in a silent monastery And he was asked on radio, I don't know how it works that he was interviewed on radio when he was in a silent order, but maybe you break the order when you leave it, I'm not sure. But he was asked, what if you were to realize that at the end of your life of sacrifice, there was no God? What if at the end of your life, atheism was true? And the abbot replied, holiness and silence and sacrifice are beautiful in themselves. Even without the promise of reward... I would still have used my life well. Now that is not what Paul is saying here. But isn't that sometimes what we think? Even without the resurrection, even if Christianity wasn't true, well, the Christian life is pretty good anyway. Love and joy and nice friends and perhaps a better marriage, perhaps a framework to bring your children up in. What difference does it make if it's not true? Following Jesus has given me a pretty good life anyway. Hasn't cost me a lot. Life's been okay. Now, do you see the problem with that way of thinking? Hasn't cost me a lot? That's not Christianity. Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The Apostle Paul lost everything to follow Jesus. It should be the case that because you have given up so much for Jesus, because of all that you've missed out on for him, because you've suffered so much, because of the friendships that you've lost, that if Jesus did not rise, your life should be pitied. If Christianity is not true, we're wasting our time. We'd be better off, Paul says down in 32, eating and drinking and enjoying life. What a waste to suffer for the gospel if in the end it's not true. If Christianity is not true, well, provide yourself with some comforts in life. Live a normal life. Be safe. Spend your money on yourself and your children and then invest what's ever left over and be secure and avoid any kind of suffering. Keep your beliefs to yourself. Avoid any tensions in your friendships. Keep things comfortable. That's the way to live if there 's no resurrection, pop into church on a Sunday, and if that 's all you do, if in the end the gospel isn 't true, you haven 't lost anything you don 't have to be pitied because you haven 't given up anything for the gospel now that 's not what it means to be a Christian to take up your cross and follow Jesus Jesus is calling us to live a life that can only be explained if Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus wants us to live a life that does not make sense unless there's more to life after we die. You are being called to make choices in your life, in your parenting, in your marriage, in your goals for your children, in what you spend your money on, in your relationships, in where you live, in where you put your energy, in who you visit this afternoon, in what job you choose, you are being called to make choices that can only be explained if Jesus will raise you from the dead. You are being called to make choices that look foolish to the world and the only explanation possible could be that Jesus will raise you from the dead and reward you for living your life for him if if anyone would come after me he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me in Matthew 7:13 don't look it up but it'll be very familiar words for most of you jesus says to his disciples enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate And broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow, and this is a little play on words, the word for narrow also means afflicted, full of suffering. Small is the gate, and afflicted is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Which road are you on? Are you on the wide road? Or are you on the narrow road? Do you want danger and risk and discomfort? If you're like me, you may not want those things. But that is the path Jesus is calling us to. That's the road Jesus chose. That's the road his apostles chose. And that's the road we must choose if we are to follow him. The wide road... The comfortable road, the safe road, leads to destruction. But the narrow road, the road of suffering, the road that Jesus has trod before us, that road leads to life and glory. And when Jesus returns one day to take us to be with him, every sacrifice that we've made, every trial that we've been through because of him, every risk that we've taken for the gospel, It'll be worth it. Jesus is calling you to live a life that is so different to the people around you that it can only be explained in the light of that day. Let's pray. Father, it is astonishing, it is staggering that your son chose to die for us. that your son chose to take your judgment so that we wouldn't have to. Father, it is to our shame, it is to our disgrace, and Father, we're so sorry for the times when we've been ashamed to stand up for Jesus. Father, it should be a great privilege and an honour to bear the name of Jesus, to call ourselves Christians, Father, we confess that there's times when we've been even shamed to acknowledge that we are a Christian. Father, we pray that you would change our hearts, that we would be willing to deny ourselves for the sake of your son, that we would live our whole lives in the light of Jesus' return. Father, we pray that this afternoon, tomorrow morning, the next day, every day that we would make that choice to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and to follow him pray these things for his glory's sake for his name's sake amen